Okay, all right. One, of, one or two of you are blessed and woo, and okay. But, yeah. How about the rest of you? Okay? Fabulous. Oh, now we're talking. That's, that's called kingdom talk. Amen. Kingdom talk. That is not just regular talk. That is kingdom talk. Um, let us speak this morning a little bit about uh, the church growing in love. The church growing in love. Um, you, you thought that the church was already done growing or something, huh? <laughs> well, the church is growing, is building. Uh, we haven't arrived there yet. God is continuously taking us on a journey to become more and more like Jesus. So I like to talk a little bit about the church today because I think there are many misunderstandings concerning the church. Um, and some of this you've already heard before. No problemo. Um, it, it bears hearing again. Um, you know, that gives us, if you've heard it twice, that gives us five more times uh, to, for you to hear it without another message in between for you to be able to remember it. That's what the experts are saying. The experts are saying for you to remember it, you have to hear it seven times without interruptions, without other, without other messages. So, anyways, I don't know if they're right or not. I, I, I don't think it's scriptural, but I, I know one thing. We need to hear things many times to not only remember them, but get them in our systems so that they become part of us. Yes, yes. So we'll be looking at some different scriptures and see what God's word, our authority has to say. <clears throat> so I'll give you my definition of the church, and you probably have a better definition. No problemo. This is my definition, and if you uh, want to add to it, that's wonderful. Um, <clears throat> my definition is like this. The church is a group of baptized believers, flawed to be sure, growing together in the love of Christ. The church is a group of baptized believer, believers, flawed to be sure, growing together in the love of Christ. Now, so there are about six elements to that definition. One, uh, believers. The be, not just believers in that the traffic light is going to turn green, or believers that a mango tree bears mangoes, but the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ and the redemptive work that He has done on our behalf. Believers. Uh, these, then, sec the second point is that they are baptized believers. Baptism is the outward expression of what has happened to you inwardly, that is, the belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. You demonstrate that in that water over there in the baptistry or on the beach or wherever there is water and you get baptized, Hop, you come back out of the water, that is to say you identify yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Baptism. A church consists of baptized believers. Now, here's where I want to park a little bit longer in the fact that these believers are flawed people. Yes? The, is, is that true? Is that fair to say? 
Like, you're flawed. I'm flawed. That was just a few of you. Yes, we're all flawed. Yes. And as the Lord is, you know, this, the, the, the title of this message is the church growing in love. So as the church is growing in love, those who have grown for a while, they are maybe less flawed or whichever way you want to look at it, but still flawed. Okay, thank you. So flawed people make mistakes, yes? Okay, thank you. We're getting there. <laughs> We're getting there. So, some people say that the church is full of hypocrites. That is pretty much true. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah. Somebody says, oh, somebody says to me, like they want to attack me because I'm, I'm a, 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 a pastor of a church. I'm a church member. And they say, I don't want to go to church. The church is full of hypocrites. I say, you're pretty much right. Why don't you join us? You're one of them. <laughs> and by the way, if there's a hypocrite between you and God, the hypocrite is just a little bit closer to God than you are. So join us. <laughs> Come join us. Uh, we're flawed or indeed. And we don't want to portray that we are not flawed when, in fact, we are flawed. That would be even more hypocritical. And that is sometimes what they mean. We act like we're so holy, and <laughs> in secret we, we mess up. Uh, and, and so, uh, so till, till that time that you're perfect, you're, you're one of us. You're one of us. And so... But the fact that we are flawed, I don't want you to use it as an excuse for just walking around casually and flippantly like a flawed person. Because the Lord Jesus himself is growing us in love to be more like him and less like us. So this is where he's taking us. But in the process... Uh, let us be gracious and merciful with each other and loving and full of compassion with one another because I see your flaw and you see my flaw. If you don't see them, I'll be happy to give you a list of my flaws. I'll be happy to give you a list of my flaws because I have plenty of flaws. But God is working. Thank Him. Thank Him. And as, as He is working, and my flaws show up, and your flaws show up, He is growing us in love, so we don't hold it against each other like we otherwise would. With the consideration that I am probably just as flawed as you are, if not worse. But God is working. So people say this. I've heard this many times, and, and, and hurt people hurt people. Have you heard that before? Hurt people hurt people. No, that's true. But not only hurt people hurt people, all people hurt people. There's no exceptions. <laughs> Are you looking at me like, 
Kenny, where are you going with this? Yes, I'm flawed, but do you have to rub it in? I don't want to rub it in. I just want to make you aware so that you are more gracious with other people. Being aware that you're flawed yourself. So all people hurt people. Sometimes people hurt you not even meaning to. Is that true? Is that a fair statement? (laughs) Some of you are not not convinced. (laughs) Yes, it's a fair statement. Um, Somehow in the church, we have the mistaken belief that, oh, Brother Paul, should I turn it up a little bit? I see you nice and cozy, keeping her warm. I think, this is good. We need to turn it, maybe turn it down for the husbands and the wife. You know, get a little bit closer together or whatever. But that's just for the husbands and the wives, okay? Don't go. Are you cold? Uh, let's, let's, just, let's just raise this thing a little bit. Okay, just a little bit then. All right. <laughs> Especially this side of the building? Or <laughs> oh, see, it stopped. Um, so, have any of you, let's just say lately, been upset at your spouse because they did something? Maybe one or, one or two of you? Three? <laughs> Three. <laughs> Part of where I want to go with this is that if you have been upset or if somebody that close to you has upset you between two people, what do you expect between 100 people? That you're never going to be upset? I guarantee it. So, somebody says, well, I want to join the church. Uh, What do you think? Well, the people over here are flawed, uh, just like everywhere else. But hopefully we'll deal deal with our flaws in a Christ-like manner instead of like the world. Where if I upset you, sister... uh, Michelle, then whether I mean it or not, if I have upset you, I come and apologize and I ask you for forgiveness. That's just that simple. And the quicker and the sooner I do it, the better off it is because that enhances our relationship as brother and sister. Instead of when I see it at the HEB store, I walk around like, like this so, so I don't, I, you, know, you don't see me. Uh, I want to see you in plain view because everything is right between us. And so this is the type of thing that I, I, I just want to bring across. That if your husband or your wife has upset you lately, uh, you don't run away and I'm, I'm going to go get another wife. No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The wives don't upset people. Uh, I'm going to go get another husband. The husbands are usually the ones that upset people. Now I'm just teasing. So, uh, so we have to be careful 
Because in a body with many people, it is automatic that there's going to be some hurt feelings and some feelings being hurt. With the one that hurt your feelings, not necessarily even meaning to hurt your feelings. And uh, But in the church, it seems to be a little bit different. Like we are requiring more, unreasonably so, of our brothers and sisters than we require from other people. Now, there is a certain amount of things that you can expect from brothers and sisters that if that is not forthcoming, such as graciousness and some as kindness and these type of things, then uh, pray for them. Pray for them. Yes, there is a place also for correction. Yes? The scriptures say that? Rebuke even. But let us say, David, that you did something that is not in step with what the Lord wants, and I come and I correct you. As a pastor, can I do that? Yes. Speak the truth in love, though. (laughs) So, when I correct my brother, and I say, Hey! Hang up the phone, or whatever, personally, or in front of the table. Then... That is different than correcting my brother. What I just did, correcting is for my brother's sake. Yes? But what I just did was venting. That was for my sake. Venting and correcting are two completely different things. Opposite, opposite. 180 degrees different. One, he'll receive... The other one, he'll just get hacked. Yes? And if and then the other thing is that if I'm going to correct David, I must have been sure that I've loved him so that he will more readily receive correction versus I have not loved him. I, all, all I do is correct him. You get sick and tired of that. No matter if it's true. You get sick and tired of it. Love the brother. And he'll receive some correction from you. But be sure in correcting him in love because you love him and not because you're going to vent. Okay? So, so, then there are things that just because we're human beings irritate you and the other person. Is that true? Is that a fair statement? Let me just say Fair statement. Yes? Is that a fair statement? That's four of you. Is, is that a fair statement? Okay, okay, okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Even if you've been married for a long, long time, something still irritates you. And this is my findings. That if there is something in somebody else that is irritating you, pray for the situation. And you will find that God will change you. <laughs> Before he'll change the other person. But by changing you, 
he has already changed the other person. In your view, in your perspective, from where you're looking. Because the problem with people is most of the time is that the other person is at fault. Joe and I, we have a deal and, and uh, 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 here's the problem. That might very well be true. That might very well be true. But I have no control over him. I have control over me. And if I submit to the Lord, then the Lord will start changing me. Then my perception of Joe will also change. And I'll see him differently because I'll see him more like Christ is seeing me. So I see him differently. So things have already changed. We made a lot of progress. So now then, since I have changed and I see him differently, does it stand to reason that I will treat him differently? Yes? I see him differently. God is changing me. I'll treat him differently. Then, so if I want a a change in Joe, God brings a change in me, and there is a better chance that he will respond to the change in me positively or Christ-like or in, in, in those, that scenario, then when there's no change in me and I'm just hoping that he's going to change. And this is true in everything. Amen. 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 So, uh, husband and wife situations, you know, one complains about the other, this, 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 and this, and this. Hey, <laughs> the main problem is in you. Not in the other person. So ask the Lord to change you. You know, when Sybil and I were first married, she's not here today, so (laughs) I can talk about it. (laughs) I am just teasing. (laughs) I thought maybe I'd get a laugh out of you, so (laughs) I'm just teasing. (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't say anything that, if she's not here, that would embarrass her or anything like that. But when we were first married, you know, I'd get upset about stupid things. Have you ever get upset about stupid things? Most of the things we get upset about are stupid things. They're no big deals. So, uh, she would sometimes leave the little cabinet doors that are sort of head, head high. She'd leave them open. And I'm thinking, honey, you should close them because you might bump your head. And worse, I might bend my head. No, 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 no. <laughs> I want to keep your attention, so I, I'm putting in a joke every once in a while. But, uh, uh, so, but then she, she wouldn't close them. Not because she didn't want to, because she wasn't in the habit of closing those things. Then you find, remember this was, this was years ago, okay? <laughs> Thankfully, not anymore. Then you find yourself thinking, okay, well, when she bumps her head, then she'll learn. Thankfully, she didn't bump her head, but she's closing them now. It's no problem, but it's not a big deal to me anymore. It's stupid to get upset about that. And then you hear other stories about toilet paper. Somebody likes it from the top. Somebody likes it from the bottom. Toothpaste. Somebody likes to squeeze from the end. Somebody likes to squeeze in the middle. Why do you squeeze in the middle? Why do you squeeze from the end? (laughs) You see, it's dumb stuff that we get upset about. And it is true also 
and the church and the body of Christ. We get upset about stupid things. And if you stop and think about it, that's foolish. Thank you. No. So, anyways. The toilet, the toilet seat. Oh, that will get you. Do it right, brother. Take a little extra toilet paper and wipe that thing also. Yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> but in addition to that, you know, <laughs> do the wiperoo. So then people get sometimes irritated. And there is two things about that. One is, don't get so easily irritated or offended. The other thing is, be careful not to offend. There's two sides to it. So, don't be so easily offended, and don't be careless in offending people. Carelessness in offending people is simply not right. It's simply not right. So, then, the other item that, that, that is in the definition of the church, the church is a group of baptized believers, flawed to be sure. We talked about the flawed part here. Growing together in the love of Christ. So the growing is what, what I'd like to talk about a little bit now. Um, growing slash building. God is building us up to be more like Christ. He is growing us to be more mature in Him. Um, so if, if there is, and the, I'm going to go to some scriptures here in a little while so that you, you, I'm not making this up. I can show you from the scriptures. But uh, when it talks about, bless you, when it talks about growing and building in the scriptures, then by definition it means that you are not fully grown yet. Otherwise, growing has no meaning. You're already fully grown. So where does growing come in? Or building the same way. So God is not done with you, building you up yet both as a church or as individuals. So uh, we have to keep that in mind. There's always room for spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. Um, that is why, I, you know, I wrote a little book called 1 plus 1 equals 1, and I, I give some away, and then I, I sign it, and I, I write in there, Dear John and Jerry, um, uh, the Lord bless you as you walk together before him. Uh, love in Christ, Ken and Sybil, his servants and yours. And then I sign Philippians 1.6. I want them to look it up. Uh, many times these people are maybe young in age. They have maybe been, just been married for a little while or otherwise they're a little bit older, whatever. It doesn't make any difference because Philippians 1.6, remember, is one of your memory verses. Being confident of this very thing. That he who had begun a good work in you shall perform it till the day of Christ. So that I will not be the same person 10 years from now. You say, 10 years from now, Pastor, you'll be a six foot under, okay? (laughs) So, So that I won't be the same person two years from now that I am today. There is great hope that I will become more like Jesus. In two years than I was today. 
So I was part of a pastor slash man meeting uh, where the men were saying some things uh, about the pastor. And yeah, it was an open meeting. So I was not, this was not a secret meeting with me, meeting with a man and the pastor was not, was not absent. The pastor was there and was understood that you could say things that, that you wanted your pastor to be better at or, or do more or, or whatever. Um, uh, it is hardly ever that people don't want the pastor to do more. But anyways, uh, neither here nor there. This is not true in this church, but most places, whatever. Um, so then I brought this verse, this verse here to bear. And I said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who had begun a, work, a good work in you as men, he will perform until the day of Jesus. He will continue to grow you to be more like Jesus. And then two years from now, you'll see your pastor different than you see him now. Furthermore, he will also grow your pastor to be more like Jesus. So two years from now, he will have grown in Christ, and then you might fall in love with each other. Not that they were strife, but they had, some, they had a few issues. So uh, this is great hope. And so it was great hope for Sybil when we first got married that God was going to continue to work on me. <laughs> yes. And uh, so, anyways, um, the, the, the growing, the building, this is the type of thing that God wants to continue to do in us um, so that we can actually mature in Him. The fifth item is together or unity. Together or unity. I give you the, the definition again. The church is a group of baptized believers, flawed to be sure, growing together in the love of Christ. So now we're talking about the word together. The word together, as I will show you the, the scriptures, you will see those words that I have mentioned to you, growing, building, together, Unity, those type of words. You will see them in many verses that I will show you. And um, so, but the word together has different meanings. We usually think of together on average in everyday talk. We're thinking of together as someone, a, a group of people who are at one place at one time. They are together. Like today, we're, we find ourselves here together. The church has gathered together. Okay, but there's other meanings about together. And these are things that also apply to the church. When we talk about being together, that might mean we are together on the same page. Are you with me? Together on the same page. And then there's another meaning of together like, you know, she's got it together. Yeah, with me? So, so, so these are all inclusive in the word together that God wants to do for us. And, and that we can be together in one place as we're gathering this morning. And that get, having gathered together, that we are together on the same page. I'm trying to get us on the same page to see some things about the church. And then the other thing, if, if having it all together. So that we can get it more together as to what the church is about. Uh, together. So, and with the word together, I have the slash unity because one of the ideas of together is, is unity. 
it is not the exact replica of together. Unity is more specific, but nevertheless, there is an overlap. So, what is unity? The Bible speaks a lot about unity. And my definition of unity is, and it's just a definition, probably sometimes some of it is borrowed or whatever, I don't know, but I, I always try to come up with a definition so that people can be uh, a little bit more clear as to how, how to understand something because they have a definition. They don't have to sort in their mind all the time, what, what, what exactly does that mean? Poof, there's a definition. The definition of unity, in my mind, is a oneness in spirit and in purpose of that which consists of diverse people. Are you with me? A oneness in spirit and in purpose of that which consists of diverse people. Let me go backwards with, with this. A diverse people um, that are in unity, that is a feat. Yes? Uh, people that are the same, look the same, dress the same, talk the same, and all these type of things, if, if they are in unity, that is also a feat, but it's not as great a feat as when these are diverse people. Are you with me? Okay? If you are not diverse, you talk the same, look the same, dress the same, blah, 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 you ought to be in unity. But even at that, even at that, people are not in unity. So, what God has in mind for the church, and He has already established it, is unity. That they would be, there would be oneness in purpose. So there's a oneness in purpose. What is, the, what is our purpose as a church? It's to, it's basically twofold. To, to grow in Christ as disciples, and secondly, to bring other people into the kingdom. Okay, call it evangelism and edification if you want to, whatever way you want to look at it. Evangelism and edification. We evangelize, bring other people into the, the kingdom, and then edification is the discipleship portion of it. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to even finish today, but anyway, we'll try. Um, so unity. So there's a oneness in purpose, and there's a oneness in spirit. So the purpose usually is clear because it is written on the, on the bulletin in the back or something in most churches. The purpose. In the oneness in purpose. But the oneness in spirit is many times lacking. Because they, they know about the oneness in purpose. So we have oneness in purpose. Sybil and I have oneness in purpose. Yes? But we don't necessarily agree how we are going to reach that purpose or that goal. Yes? Okay? So we are a group of people. We have a oneness of purpose. But you might have a different idea of how we're going to get there than me. And you have a different idea than me. And you have a different than him and, and so on and so forth. So we're bringing that to the table. And we realize that God has given us each a little portion of the puzzle. A piece of the puzzle. I thought I had the whole puzzle. <laughs> I, this is my idea. <laughs> you know. Oh, but you have another idea. 
out. But maybe that's another part of the puzzle. And as we come to the table, we realize, ah, God has given us each a part of the puzzle. When we put it together, now we have the whole puzzle. And then now we can agree. This is how we're going to do this. But what happens in the church is that because there's a difference as to how we're going to reach this purpose, this goal, then now we start fighting. Because I have the whole puzzle. And you think you have the whole puzzle. And you think you have the whole puzzle. So if I think I have the whole puzzle, then your puzzle is wrong. But if I think I have a part of the puzzle, and you have part of the puzzle, now we can come together. So, but this unity, my dear brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit has already accomplished that among the believers. What he wants us to do is to maintain, safeguard, protect it with all our might, the unity of the Spirit. Where does it say it? Ephesians 4, 2 or 3. It says that uh, endeavoring, and the word endeavoring here means a great effort. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Three. Uh, Ephesians 4, 3. Endeavoring to keep the, <laughs> the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So the unity of the Spirit is already established. But God is wanting us to protect it with all our might. The unity of the Spirit. It is different than the unity in, in the faith, which he talks about in the fourth chapter a little bit later as well. So, now, uh, where are we? Number, so that was unity and, uh, and then growing. There's the sixth point that is part of the definition of, uh, of the church. The sixth part is the, the growing together in love. Love is the ultimate this is where God wants to take us. This is where God wants to take us. And I'm going to give you a verse in the NIV. And so that it's easier for you to understand. The, the King James says, ah, what does that mean? So the, the NIV is a little bit easier to understand. I give you uh, Ephesians 4.16. 4.16. From him, meaning Jesus Christ, comes from 4, 4.15. You can see clear things from Jesus Christ. The whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up, itself up in love as each part does its work. So the ultimate thing that the church is about is to be one that portrays outwardly and inwardly amongst ourselves and out to the outside world the love of Christ. That's where God has us. So let us look at a few verses. Uh, we look at 1 Peter 2, 4, and 5. Let's look at it together. Oh, there's that word, together. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so coming to him as a living stone, to him as he, he is the living stone, rejected indeed by man, but chosen by God and precious. He's speaking about Jesus Christ. He is the living stone. But in verse 5, he says, because that living stone is in us, then we also become living stones with which God wants to build a spiritual house. 
whose spiritual sacrifices are acceptable to God through Christ. So 5 says, ye also are living stones. He is the living stone. You also are living stones. Being built up a spiritual house. This is important. A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So let us talk about the fact that you are a living stone. So you are basically, you are bricks that God wants to use to build a temple, a spiritual house. Yes? You read that in verse 5? Okay. So here are the bricks. And he's going to put something on the, on the screen. These are the bricks which, which you're building on top of each other. There's relationship among these bricks. This one is related to this one. This one is related to that one. And so on and so forth. And then each of us, each brick is involved in, and because you're a living brick, because Christ, okay, there it is, because Christ is in you, that makes you a living brick. Okay? And so therefore, then you have possibility to minister to the bricks around you. So, this brick over here, this brick, let's look at this brick in particular, he's involved in... In four disciplines, basically. In other words, you can also, you can always subdivide these disciplines in more disciplines. But we'll just, for our purposes, consider these four disciplines. One, you are involved in prayer. You are involved in the Word. Those are, are, have to do with you and God. They are vertical. Then two, you, have, you witness. And three, you have fellowship. Those are related to horizontally. Are you with me? So, here then, Christ is in me. He's teaching me the, the, the way of, 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 of himself. And I am involved in prayer. I'm involved in fellowship. I'm involved in studying and teaching and preaching the word. I'm involved in witnesses. And all the disciplines that I'm involved in, they produce a ministry in somewhere else. Are you with me? So, let us say I'm involved in prayer. And prayer, as we do on Wednesday nights, on Wednesday nights, our prayers are mostly intercessory prayers. Mostly. That is not the only way to pray, but that's what we do on Wednesday night. In my personal prayer life, it is a little bit different. But on Wednesday night, it is not completely 100% intercessory, but a lot of intercessory prayer, we usually go to the Lord on behalf of someone else. Okay? Intercessory prayer. Or something else. Uh, so I'm involved in prayer, and that causes the ministry of worship and intercession on behalf of somebody else. Then, as I study and teach and preach, uh, I'm sorry, study the word, then I get to teach and preach for the benefit of others. Okay? This is between me and God. And then I'll do it on behalf of others. This fellowship, I. Yes, God is involved, but that is, um, we're doing that with a brother and a sister. Fellowship. And because of the fellowship, then the ministry of nurture is, 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 is being engaged, being, is being done. Uh, if I'm fellowshipping with Mike, <laughs> I got you, bro. Watch out, watch out. <laughs> if I'm fellowshipping with Mike, then my fellowship with him causes in him a nurture, a feeding, a growing. And his fellowship 
with me causes a nurture. Yes? So I'm not the only one involved in ministry. He's also involved in ministry, and his, his ministry toward me is nurture while he's fellowshipping with me. Are you with me? And that is what fellowship is about. It's not just about having a cup of coffee. I love, I don't drink coffee, but I, what, Byron, what do I drink? What do I get? Byron, what do I get at, at, uh, at Barnes & Noble? A macaroon, a coconut macaroon, and hot chocolate. That's what I get. I take him to Barnes & Noble. We spend some time together. I get my hot chocolate and macaroon. Uh, he's now addicted to macaroons. Uh, uh, but, so, but it's not about the hot chocolate and the macaroon. I want to make it comfortable for him. So I order hot chocolate and macaroon. It's about the time together and what God will do for us both in that time together. That's what it's about. So you, you follow what I'm saying here? Uh, and then as I am engaged in witnessing, that is the ministry of evangelism is, is, is being practiced. Yes? Okay. So this is just a little, a little schematic for you, for you to have. Uh, now, so can you put back First uh, Peter 2, 5? And then when we look at First Peter 2, 5, I've shared this before on a couple of occasions, that... In 1 Peter 5, we are living stones with which God wants to build a spiritual house. The church. The church is a spiritual house. Unfortunately, often when we talk about the church, it is a physical house. My dear brothers and sisters, much to the chagrin of God. We're looking at the church as a physical house and spend most of our resources on the physical house and not on the spiritual house. And what has happened over the years, I've shared this before, this is just for, as a reminder, when people just emphasize the physical house there are physical houses in Europe that have been emphasized as physical houses and the spiritual house in that gigantic, momentous, monumental uh, physical house is like yay small. When you go on Sunday mornings, there are 30, 40 people in a place that seats 2,000 people maybe. That is absolutely gorgeous wherever you look. If you look forward, there's marble, there's paintings, fantastic artwork. You look there, it's fantastic. If you look there, it's fantastic. You look there, it's fantastic. You look to the ground, it's marble, expensive marble. You look to the ceiling, whoa, artwork. Wherever you look, it is absolutely beautiful. But the spiritual house is absent, just about. Because we have looked entirely to the physical house. And now, they have become... Monuments and tourist places. Museums. Monuments, museums. That was what I was trying to say. Museums. So the question is, do you want your church to be a model as a spiritual house or do you want it to be a museum? A museum, what is a museum? It tells stories about how things used to be. So, 
You have to be very careful, my dear brothers and sisters, and see what God is trying to teach us. So spiritual house that <clears throat> makes spiritual sacrifices to God that are acceptable to him. All right. We give you another verse. So this is, uh, we'll call this the spiritual house. Then I give you another uh, uh, Ephesians 2, 14 through 21. We won't, won't be teaching a lot on it. I just really want to read through it. I want you to look for the words unity, uh, together, build, grow, these type of words. Ephesians 2, 14 through 21. It is speaking here primarily to the Jews and the Gentiles. Between whom the wall of partition has been done away with. And they have now become one. Together. One together. One together. Okay? And so that's what it's talking about. But there's also, there is in the church, also other partitions that God wants to do away with. There are racial partitions. There are social partitions. There are financial partitions. There are all kinds of other partitions that God absolutely wants to destroy. The things that divide us are the things that prevent us from uniting us. And God wants us to be one. Okay, so let's look at this. For he himself is our peace, who had made both one, that is the Gentiles and the Jews, and he wants to make us all one. He wants to make the church one. The church in China, the church in India, the church in Africa, the church in South America, the church in North America, to be one. But it's difficult to grasp that idea, so I will just bring it to us here. It's difficult enough to understand and to put it to practice. Just us here, let alone the big C church. So, uh, has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. 15 says this, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments and contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. Once again, from the two making one, having made peace between us, so that we can become one. 16 says this, and he, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. The enmity between the two, he's put it to death. He's done away with it. Okay, we're going fast because we can't stay over here. I, I just want to give you, see, see still, you see the one body, you see the word reconcile, that has to do with oneness. And he became, and he came and preached peace to you who were afar off, that the two, that, and to those who were near. So the ones that were afar off were the Gentiles were afar off. He preached peace to them. The Jews were close. He preached, preached peace to them and made out of the two one, as he wants to make out of us one as well. 18 says this, And through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. A oneness. Uh, somebody is asking, well, why, uh, a legitimate question, why is our God three in one? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's a very difficult question. But I know that part of that answer is that God, because those three, they are one. <laughs> those three are one. And 
they are the example of how we should be one. The Father is not jealous of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not jealous of Jesus. They are one. They look for the same thing. They're doing the same thing. Although their role is different in, in some aspects, yet it is all one. Okay? My, my, Sybil and I, the, the scripture tells us that we are both one. We'll be made one, yes? The two shall be one, right? So, but I didn't bear no children. Okay? She bore the children. So, though we are one in purpose and in every way, yet she has a little bit different job than I do. But, but the, the ultimate job is the same, that we want to glorify God with our lives as a couple. So, um, and then 19 says this. So here we go with 19. Now we have to, now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. The word fellow has the idea of together, yes? Okay, thank you. Fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So here you have both the word household has also the idea of one. That is ultimately the idea of a household. There's a oneness in this household. And the word household has also the idea of building. Yes? You build a house. A household. Uh, whether it is physical or, or, or otherwise. You still have to work on building it. 20 says this. Having been built. Here's that word again. On the oh, oh, foundation. <laughs> That's that word about building again. Of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone has to do with building. 21 says this, in whom, in Christ, the whole build, building, being fit together, together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That is to say that God wants such a oneness among his people that he says, that is where I want to live. I want to make my residence there. A holy temple. My dear brothers, this is, this is no small stuff. That is what he wants to do. So, we'll say then, we'll call that, and I gotta, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip here and, and go to my last point. Um, the church together, God's dwelling place. Let me just let me just go to the end. I might pick it up another time and finish it, but I just want to make the last point over here that it is not in Ephesians four sixteen. Although four sixteen, I just read to you in the NIV for easier understanding, and I said that it said that that as each part as each part does its part. As each brick or each member does its part, the whole body flourishes and grows into love. The ultimate is the love. Okay? So, but I want to I show you the church. And I have a picture for you over here. It's called the rescuing hug. Have you ever heard about the rescuing hug? You have because I've talked to you about it before, but that was a while back. The rescuing hug... Google it, or whichever way you want to reach it, 
because it is an, 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 an exhilarating story. And this is what I think the church should know about and should do so that we can learn from baby twins. So that the church can learn from baby twins. This is called the rescuing hug. This is a baby, one of the twins, who was born healthy and strong. They were both premature. The one on the left was sickly, had fever, irregular heartbeat, and cried incessantly. They couldn't console the, the one on the left. But they were in two separate incubators. The nurse had to fight the doctor a little bit to, to have the healthy one join the sickly one in the incubator. Instantly, the healthy one put her arm around the, the sickly one. Within the day, the temperature was gone, her breathing was regular, and she was starting immediately. She had actually started to turn blue a little bit already. She turned pink. And now they are in their, their 17 year old and are grown up uh, young people, healthy as can be. But this is the church, my dear brothers and sisters. Is that one, one who is healthy puts his or her arm around, around one who is not healthy. Instead of staring them away. Instead of them pushing them out. Embrace them, and they will be. This is the thing about the church. It should be a healing place, my dear brothers and sisters. A place of healing and growth. Typically, the church has shunned the sickly ones, has pushed them out, has not involved them in fellowship, my dear brothers and sisters. This is, if you've if you figure that you are a healthy Christian, you put your arm, it doesn't have to be physically, but spiritually or uh, figuratively, put your arm around a sickly brother or sister so that they can become healthy. Within days, within days, the sickly one, her temperature was gone, her breathing became regular, and she turned back from blue to pink. Yes? You remember, Herman is a twin. His twin brother has passed away in the meantime. But he's... See, there we go. See, he's crying about it. It's an emotional thing. But that is, that is the thing. That is the thing, Herman, that in the body of Christ, this is the way it should be. Amen. Is that we so are... Uh, compelled by the love of God to help hurting people and, and not otherwise. To help those people that are maybe struggling. Don't yell and scream at them. Don't stare them away or out of the place. Embrace them. You can give them a physical embrace if it's comfortable. It may not always be comfortable. You can give them a physical embrace or an emotional embrace. Just by talking to them, smiling at them, engaging them in conversation, and so on. So thank you for sharing that with, with, with us, Herman. Uh, and it is, uh, you know, this morning I was, I was looking for that story because I have a picture of it somewhere in some of my, my sermon someplace. <laughs> hey, Google it, Kenny. <laughs> it's all over the Google. I mean, 
because I used to call it the saving hug. But it is in the, in the Google, it's, it's on the, the rescuing hug. But even when I put saving hug, there, there were all, the, all, the, all the, the, the deals on the rescuing hug. And um, it's a really neat story. And for them now to be, uh, I don't know how old the, the latest part is that I read. They are 17 years old. Maybe that was three years ago. I don't know. But the, the, the latest part that I read was they were 17 years old. They were graduating from high school, fi- figuring they were going to go to different colleges. But they still have this common thing about somebody's thinking about a song, and the other one thinks about the same song at the same time. Um, so that, that's speaking about the oneness that God wants us to have. So that when there is something to be done, and we come together, there is such a oneness that we're thinking sort of like almost the same way. We're praying, and the Holy Spirit just reveals to us sort of the same thing. The rescuing hug. So this morning when I was looking it up, I just cried a good cry because I was thinking, wow, if the church could learn from the premature baby twin girls, how far ahead would we be? How far ahead would we be? And how pleasing we would be to the Lord. To hear testimonies from people that came to the church and felt like I came as a sickly person in here. But three months later, six months later, I feel like I have received great healing and spiritual growth. Let us stand.